Well, the fallout from various ministries in New South Wales continues. Mm. Um, we'll be hearing about uh, the Property Services Commissioner and his sudden departure. Oh, gosh. Where will it all end? Where will it all end? And we've got a couple of things from the website, plus some news about that big building at Tamarama. Mm-hmm. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the Flat Chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. So it seems Property Commissioner John Minns has quit, as well as David Chandler. Wow. So it's a complete fallout, isn't it, really? Well, you know, last... Was it last week or the week before we heard that uh, David Chandler had decided he hasn't actually left, but he's cut short his extended appointment. And then apparently the same week, John Minns, the property commissioner, left the office. Why was that? Do you know? Well, (laughs) I think it might be something to do with the fact that they didn't even realise he was there. Because you you had trouble getting through to him, didn't you? Yeah, I was doing a story and someone suggested John Minns would be the perfect person to give me a comment. So I contacted his office and um, they said, "Uh, I'm sorry, do you mean Chris Minns, who's the leader of the opposition? And I said, no, I mean John Minns, the property commissioner. Oh, I I don't know if he's around. And I said, what do you mean you don't know if he's around? He's he's the commissioner. Oh, is he? (laughs) <laughs> it was astonishing. Yeah, no, and in the end, you know, the fair trading, the Department of Fair Trading, ended up giving me a comment. Yeah. Whereas the commissioner John Minns was yeah. just where was he? The Invisible yeah. Man. I mean, nice man. We met him a couple of oh, times. Oh, he's great. But he obviously didn't have much support from his staff, really. Even if, if you know they didn't or really his minister. quite know his name. Well, yes, because I guess the the person in common in all this is... um, Eleanor Pettinos. Yeah. So uh, John Minns, for anyone who doesn't realise he is not Chris Minns, he was brought in late last year. And a great fanfare, this was going to be the property services commissioner and he was going to bring in uh, real estate agents and uh, strata managers and anybody who had anything to do with property apart from the people who live in it. The consumers. <laughs> yeah. Mm. The residents, the tenants and the owners of, of uh, apartment blocks were not part of that picture. And then it sounded like a stuff up from day one. Uh, I remember talking to David Chandler about him and everybody agreed he was a very capable experienced and decent guy but david said i'm sitting looking through my office window at the property commissioner who hasn't moved basically it's Mm. like nothing nothing happening when you consider what a big portfolio that potentially could have been Mm, absolutely but it obviously wasn't very clearly defined right from the very beginning well, the SCA, the strata managers, uh, objected to the fact that he would come under fair trading. They thought he would be an independent commissioner. I can't see how that would ever have worked, but they were a bit annoyed. The Real Estate Institute of New South Wales, I can't remember the guy's name. Tim McGibbons, Tim the McGibbon. CEO. Yeah, he said initially we're having nothing to do with it because of the way it's been set up. Mm. He changed his mind later, but there was just a lot of confusion and frustration. 
and eventually I think that must have got to John Minns and he's uh, he's quit. So we've got a building commissioner who's halfway out the door and a property commissioner who's already left. The minister concerned has gone, apparently for reasons that have nothing to do with either of these things, which I don't believe for a minute. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the government has bigger fish to fry at the moment. Yeah, so Victor Dominello is taking over the portfolio, isn't he? He's taken it back? He's taken, as well as his uh, other he's taken back fair trading, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's a very capable minister, and he, I mean, quite a lot happened during his reign. And he's been doing a lot of stuff. This um, Strata Hub business um, that he set up, that seems to be moving forward, and it's quite interesting how it's pulling in a lot of information that people should have had and should have been around, but it was never really pulled together in the one place. And and now you can go on the website and find out. You had a look at it the other day, didn't you? You were looking mm. for something. I was looking to – I wanted to try and track down somebody who'd been involved in an NCAT case. Yes. And I had the Strata plan number. Yeah. But I didn't really know where it was at all. So yeah. I went on the hub and I was able to track down – the exact apartment building and its address, which was fantastic, really. Wow. Hmm. Oh, that's see, that's exactly what it it should be for, you know. That for you, journalists. For journalists <laughs> to track down pet owners. <clears throat> yeah, look, it's it's a good idea. They had a big seminar about it while we were away, and I posted a question to them, which was actually asked and answered, mm. and that was, how do strata residents know what their committees or strata managers are putting on the the hub and what information are they giving and what information is missing and of course one thing they can do is apply and go in the hub and and say i'm a an owner in this building and i want to see what records there are but i thought that there should be a statutory thing at an agm that comes out with the agenda Mm. that says this is the information we've given to the hub. And people can look at it and go, hang on, that's wrong, or there's something missing there. And so they've suggested that (laughs) owners' corporations should maybe create a bylaw that says that they will do this. So they've Mm. left it up to the owners' corporations to mandate their own reporting, which is... So it's unlikely ever to happen, It'll never happen, yeah. 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 But, you know... There you go. At least they they listened to the question and answered it after a fashion. Mm, Absolutely. So John Minns is gone. David Chandler's on the way out. But you have a story related to David Chandler about the the Tamarama building. That's right. You might remember a few years ago there was a – well, it's still there (laughs) – quite an iconic um, apartment building in Tamarama. It was called Glenview originally, but it's been renamed Sky Tamarama. Right. And it was kind of a very old, crumbling 1970s brutalist building. Mm. Um, very ugly, but it was right there on the ridge. Fabulous views over Tamarama Beach and the yeah. ocean. But not and such a great view from the beach up to the building, no, which that's is right. an awful. awful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, the, I mean, they had a really good executive committee and strata committee, and they decided. What they would do, because the building, you know, there were, there were problems with fire regulations, there were problems with, because oh, it, was it was so old, it yeah, just it needed was... a complete and utter renewal, but they obviously didn't have the money in their 
their sinking fund to do yeah. that kind of work. So they came up with this ingenious idea of building two penthouses on the roof. Right. And the, the idea is the sale of those penthouses would pay for the complete and utter refurbishment and renewal of the rest of the building. Right. And, I mean, it was a genius idea, and it took a very um, energetic person on the Strata Committee to, to see it through. And it, yep. it took much longer than they thought mm. and much more expensive than they thought. Mm. Originally, the idea was that it was going to cost $20 million. Yep. By the end, it had cost $50 million. And they paid for the thing with, you know, special levies, but also um, Australia's biggest strata loan from Lennox. Yeah. And um, they did this work and they finally finished the work. They put the two new penthouses on their roof. Uh-huh. They put those up for sale. And then they ran foul, foul of David Chandler, the building commissioner, who said that the building should be renewed to today's regulations, which right. meant fire sprinklers in every level of the apartment building. Yeah. And they argued, no, it should only be um, renewed to a level when they started work. Right. I mean, the, the, the legislation had changed in the interim. Yeah. So there was this big row, and David Chandler put a stop work um, order on the building and refused to issue the construction certificate. So the building had to effectively take the penthouses off the market right? and then argue with him about whether there should be fire sprinklers in all levels, which would right. be Horrendously expensive. Yes, a huge undertaking. And eventually, just this week, um, the building commissioner has taken the order off. Right. And uh, they just have sprinklers in the new penthouses right. and down in the car park. Right. They don't have them in the other levels. And um, the penthouses have gone back on the market. Right. So they're now $20 million each. So okay. um, hopefully they'll sell for $40 million at least. Yep. And um, the, the owners of the building, I mean, they've shelled out a considerable amount over the years. Yep. And they've had the difficulty of living elsewhere. Mm. But they'll come back to a brand new building. They, they think the occupation certificate will be issued in a couple of weeks. So right. they'll all be allowed back in. Oh. And it looks pretty amazing. It yeah. looks so much better. They've got kind of a, like a wavy roof, yeah. you know, to reflect the ocean waves. Yeah. And uh, it looks it looks great. All right. Okay. And I think it's become a bit of a template and a bit of a model for all the other crumbling buildings around Sydney, which are yep. thinking of maybe doing the same. Yeah. And are looking for spaces in their buildings where they can um, create extra apartments or looking on their rooftops like Sky Tamarama to see if they can do something on the rooftop to finance the renewal of the rest of the building. All right. Good. Good for them. Mm. Well, that's a piece of good news for them, at least. And actually for everybody else who lives around there, because that building has always been a bit of an Mm. eyesore. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to talk about a curious decision from NCAT that uh, surprised me about tenants' rights when it comes to common property. That's after this. Here at Flat Chat, we are always telling people that one of the benefits of apartment living is that you can just lock up and leave when you want to take a holiday. Well, if you're looking for some inspiration on where to go to make the most of your freedom, take a look at mildrover.com, our website for seasoned travellers. It has news, reviews and special travel deals in which you can literally save thousands of dollars. That's M-I-L-D-R-O-V-E-R dot com, the website that takes you somewhere fantastic, even if you don't leave home. So I've signed up to this terrific service that actually monitors decisions from various legal bodies, including NCAT and VCAT, and uh, it 
throws up some curious cases. The most recent one was uh, an appeals panel case with a tenant who had suffered water damage in her apartment and had uh, claimed, first of all, she wanted rent reduction. Um, Then she wanted her notice to quit from a landlord to be rescinded because she said it was retaliatory. Oh, because she'd complained. Because she'd complained. The landlord had... Yeah. Um, and she wanted compensation for stress and distress and stuff like that. And in the initial result, they said, yep, you can have rent reduction. They didn't rule on, or they, they didn't rule in favor of the retaliatory dismissal mm-hmm. eviction notice. And they didn't offer her any compensation. And they said that because a tenant in a building is a quote, interested party, she could have raised the issue of the defects with the owners corporation because that was part of her claim was that the the landlord had not pursued the defects um and therefore she was entitled to compensation yeah <clears throat> i would have thought that's quite reasonable because you don't think that a tenant yeah. can approach the owners corporation yeah well know, it turns out they can so that was one of the bases on which they said you're not getting compensation because you could have handled this yourself. So this goes to the appeal panel. Um, and in the interim, the whole question of the eviction notice has resolved itself. I'm guessing maybe she's found somewhere else to live. But the question of compensation came up and she had a letter from her I think it was her physiotherapist saying that she'd been very stressed and very upset and depressed and suffered from lack of sleep. And and the appeals panel said, nah, that this physio is not qualified in those areas to be able to say whether she was depressed or, or, or what had caused it. Mm. So that was knocked out. But they ruled that even though legally she could have taken the owner's corporation to NCAT herself to get the defects fixed. This was not a reasonable impost on Mm. her. This was really the landlord's responsibility. And so (laughs) they made this strange ruling, which is that should not have been used as an excuse or a reason for not giving her compensation. But since they're not going to give her compensation anyway, it didn't really matter. But I think the interesting thing from tenants' point of view is, I mean, can you imagine a scenario where a tenant might take a their owner's corporation to NCAT over defects? Absolutely. You know, they know the apart- apartment much better than often the owner does. Yeah. And there's often so many absentee owners or maybe overseas owners. Yeah. And we know someone who lived in the same rental property for over 20 years, and he'd never spoken to his owner. Like his owner had nothing to do with the building whatsoever. So, yeah, I could imagine if there were, you know, electrical faults. Yeah, the plumbing, that kind of, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that kind of stuff. Well, this was a case of flooding and mould, you know. and Walls cracking. Yeah. So the tenant, so I suppose the thing to do for tenants is to say, there's a problem in the building and say to the landlord or the agent, can you do something about this? And then rather than going, okay, now I'm going to take the landlord to NCAT to make them do the things like take the owner's corporation to NCAT, I'm going to take them to NCAT. Yep, absolutely. Cut out the middleman. Mm. 
And I mean, it, it's hard because why should a tenant who's paying rent for a property end up having to spend their spare time doing all this? And it is stressful and it is can be expensive and it can be hard. It's not fair, really. But then if they do win, then hopefully NCAT will you know, give them some kind of compensation for the time and energy and money they've spent. Hmm. Okay. So the message is to tenants, if you are in a situation where there's something wrong with the common property and it's affecting your apartment and your landlord or the agent is either unavailable or uninterested, rather than going through the rigmarole of taking your landlord to the tribunal, the appeals panel has ruled that has made it clear that that is something that tenants can do. They don't need to do, and they shouldn't have their claims, their overall claim diminished if they don't do it, but it's an option open. Mm, and it would keep the landlord hopefully on side too, wouldn't it, really? Oh, you never know. Or I mean, if, if, action. Well, yeah, it could be that you, you go to the agent and ask them to do something. They don't do anything. You take it on yourself and then you suddenly find that the landlord's saying, hang on, I didn't want to annoy the strata committee. Mm. But, you know, that's, but then they that's need just a new agent, irresponsible. They? <laughs> they do. When we come back, we're going to look at an interesting story that's come up on this week's forum. That's after this. Very curious case has come up on the forum. It's a, a long-time uh, correspondent of ours, a, a flat chatter, has found has just seen the agenda of the next AGM of his building, and on it there's a thing asking owners to approve paying for legal action against him because of complaints that he has made about other tenants in the building, saying that he is a nuisance under Section 153 of the Act, that you can't be a nuisance, you can't interfere with other people's peaceful enjoyment of their property. So was he complaining about residential tenants or was he complaining about commercial tenants? Well, this is the thing. He's been complaining frequently, he says, about commercial tenants and the noise and nuisance from their operation. And he's been complaining to the local council and, and every time his complaint has been upheld. Wow. And now the, now the committee, and apparently this block is 70% owned by the same family, and it may be the commercial operators, uh, they've said, all right, you're becoming a nuisance, so we're going to take legal action under Section 153 to stop you. Wow. And that doesn't seem right to me. That's incredible. Shouldn't they be taking action against the, the tenants of the, or the occupants of the commercial properties? Maybe they are the occupants of the commercial Especially properties. Especially if the, up, if the complaints have been upheld against them. Exactly. It's not like a, a, just a, a constant barrage of, of emails and complaints and, you know, mm. phone calls and bailing people up in the corridors and things like that, which would tend to that physical confrontation could, could stray into the nuisance area, maybe, but uh, just complaining, uh, validly complaining about the mm. way businesses are operated if they're in breach of council regulations or the EPA, um, that, how can that possibly be construed as a nuisance? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's kind of interesting, and I think it's a really important topic because there are very, very few apartment buildings that are being built now that aren't mixed-use developments. Yeah. Nearly every single new apartment building has retail at the bottom, or yeah. sometimes they have offices on one of the floors. Right. And the bigger apartment buildings, yes, they have a lot more 
retail tenancies and commercial tenancies involved, you know. Well, that's one of the reasons people move into apartment blocks is because yeah. they can have shops and cafes and takeaways nearby. But there, there's always been difficulties, I think, with mixed-use developments. You know, we, we've known people who've had to complain about the operation of cafes beneath them when the cafes were cooking food and they weren't actually they didn't actually have permission to cook food no. because the fumes were coming up and they weren't yeah. properly yeah. um they didn't have the the no they didn't the have the, the the exhaust stack well they couldn't because they were on the ground floor right underneath apartments that's right um, and they had specifically had been told that they could only you know use a toaster and mm. and coffee machine and we all know restaurants underneath apartment buildings where they have big notices and say that say you know when you're leaving this restaurant yeah, please respect. be really quiet because yeah. upstairs there's lots of people who may be asleep you know if we have a late license till 11 o'clock it would be really annoying to hear people coming out and talking and chatting you know right underneath your window every night but this that issue that that specific uh, instance that you referred to has similarities with this because i'm not going to name names but the person who owned the cafe was the wife of a director of the developers. Mm. And every time the council, they, they were told they couldn't have a deep fat fryer. And every time council came round to inspect, they would call the building manager who would call the sales director of the developer who would call his wife and they would wheel the deep fat fryer around mm. and put it in the car park. Mm. So when council came, they said, there is no fryer here. What are you talking about? Mm. And I think for somebody in that position, the sales director of a major development company who's in that position is absolutely disgraceful. Mm. Yeah. And those people eventually sold out. And I think they they lost money on that apartment because they've got this cafe underneath that shouldn't have been there and council mm. wouldn't do anything about it. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I really feel really for this. problematic, yeah. You know, and then this person's making valid complaints and what the strata committee should be doing is going, oh, you are tenants of this building and you keep breaching environmental protection authority laws and council bylaws. Therefore, you are breaching our bylaws. If you're using your property to break the law, then you're breaching bylaws. They should be going after the commercial tenants mm. rather than the person who's complaining about sure. them. You know, they all shoot the messenger thing. Mm. And I suspect the problem here may be that the people who have the majority votes on the committee or on the owners corporation are also the people who are causing the problem. But you don't know that. I don't know that for a fact, but my recommendation has been tell them to take this thing off the minutes because it's defamatory mm. and it's illegal mm. and tell them if they don't do it, you're going to apply to have a, a strata manager appointed and kick the committee out and, mm. and manage the building properly. Yeah. That should put the cat among the pigeons. <laughs> and hopefully lead to a proper resolution of the problem. Well, it might make them back down and, and be a bit more reasonable. Yeah. Or it could result in World War Three. Mm. You never know. <laughs> and finally, there's a piece of news that's come out just today. You know, they're saying about uh, how the flood victims, the government's going to offer to buy back their properties mm. from yep. them so yep. they can move out to somewhere safer. Yep. Why are they not doing that for the victims of Mascot Tower? Good idea. I guess they would say the difference is one was an, a natural catastrophe that the, the New South Wales government could have averted if they'd have taken action more quickly on, you know, things like flood wars and things. Yeah. 
And the other thing is something that was caused by a private developer. So, well, so, allegedly caused by a private developer. So they they could get restitution through legal. That's right. Except we've heard that the deal that's been done with the mascot owners, which is confidential, which is confidential, they are still going to lose hundreds of thousands on mm. their apartments, mm. and they've still got to find a buyer for the building. Yep. And it just seems to me, okay, you can say the the government should have done more in preventing the flooding. And I really feel for the people, it must be awful to have your home flooded out, you know, to have a mm. two-story home totally underwater. Yep. But they're in a floodplain. Mm. They built in a floodplain. They know that there have been floods there before, maybe not as bad as the ones that hit them this time, but they knew to some extent what they were getting into. Mm. I'm not saying they shouldn't be compensated. Yep. I think they should. But I don't think that they can, you can turn around and say, oh, well, the mascot towers situation is purely commercial and they could get their money back through the courts because we know that's not going to happen. And maybe it's the New South Wales government's problem because they don't have tight enough... Building restrictions, building yeah, yeah. Construction and, regulations. And no insurance for buildings. But maybe rather than have a buyback of mascot towers apartments, maybe they should offer to take on the legal battle on behalf of those owners... Yeah. Because, you know, when own individual owners are trying to battle a developer, it's, you know, the odds are stacked against them. Absolutely. If suddenly the New South Wales government comes in with its large reserves of cash and expertise, it's kind of a different footing, really. And, you know, that has a psychological effect on the developer. Because if the developer, and we've said this before, if the developer can make $1 profit more out of hammering residents in court and paying expensive lawyers to do so, then they'll take that option. Mm. Whereas, you know, if they're going, well, I can't do a war of attrition against the government because they've got more money than me and eventually I will lose, um, they might think, well, maybe I'll just settle. Mm. Yeah. But the, I think any th um, defects claim over, say, 60,000, 70,000, mm. the government say, should say, okay, we'll take this on. You go and fix your building, we'll take on the claim, and when we get the money out of the developers, we'll pay your bills for you. That's fantastic. That could be a new role for David Chandler. Uh, well, yeah. He's, <laughs> uh, come Christmas, he's going to be, well, you know, he's well past retirement age, let's face it. Yeah, but he's such a golden oldie, we've got to keep him yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, we do. That would be a great thing for him. Get, mm. get, get that policy changed. When the government get, finally gets kicked out, which <laughs> looks increasingly possible, mm. and maybe Labour will pick up that and, and say, we'll mm. run with this. It would be good if anybody did, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Sue, for uh, coming in and contributing again this week. Pleasure. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher or your favourite podcatcher just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again talk to you again next week <laughs>